This is episode 494 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Deadly Viruses Part 1. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by Audible. Now, Audible Books allows you to listen to the best books when you're on the go. I love to listen to podcasts and audiobooks while I stay busy doing other things. Now, right now, they are offering five free audiobook downloads when you join Audible for a trial period. That is an awesome deal. So if you'd like some more information, you can come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com forward slash audible or click the link in the show notes. All right, guys. So this article comes to us from doomandbloom.net. And I really love what they do over there, providing medical information for uh, or when, I should say, uh, there ever is a situation, we need to know these types of things. You know, you can learn about water filters and food and, and, and you know, how to build fires and all that type of stuff. To me, I guess it's always been one of those things to try to wrap around my head that medical medical knowledge is one of those things that you really need to learn and really need to grasp, right? It's not as simple as just going out and, and you know, playing with a fire or, or playing with uh, building a fire until you get it right. And so, uh, you know, when, when you talk about building a fire, there's many ways of doing it. But when you talk about medical knowledge, the, the knowledge that you gain or that you don't gain can do a family member or a loved one harm. And so I really believe in what they're doing over there. And I always... Actually, their website was one of the first ones that I started going to when I got into preparedness because it was one of the things in my mind that needed to really be taken care of. So this article, again, comes to us from doomandbloom.net. It's talking about deadly viruses. So let's go ahead and jump in and start reading this one. Infectious disease is of major concern in good times or bad, and the family medic must be able to identify some of the deadliest. Having just written a book about infectious diseases and the antibiotics that treat them, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in Austere Settings, we've done our research on some of the worst illnesses that can occur even in countries with advanced medical systems. There are infections out there, however, that are often fatal and can't be treated with antibiotics. These are usually viral in nature. So what are the worst viruses on the planet? Well, that depends. Are you looking at the total number that died from a particular disease over the course of history? Are you monitoring the number that die every year in the present? Or is it the percentages of people that die if they get infected? In any case, the statistics are grim. In this article, we'll discuss a mix of the above and examine a number of viral illnesses that you definitely don't want to contract. The first one is human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV. The HIV virus has been a major issue since the 1980s, but cases were recorded in the Congo as far back as 1959. 
You don't hear much about the virus and the acquired immune deficiency syndrome it causes, or this AIDS, because progress in antiviral treatments have decreased death rates in developed countries. Originally mutated from a virus found in monkeys and apes, it is still a huge epidemic in sub-Saharan Africa that kills between 1 to 2 million people every year. HIV is transmitted through bodily fluids and works by turning off your immune system. This presents your natural defenses from killing the virus, but also causes a wide range of sometimes exotic diseases, including certain rare cancers. These are called opportunistic infections because they only invade those with weakened immunity. Early symptoms resemble the flu with headache, fever, fatigue, rash, and muscle or and joint pain. Some develop ulcers in the mouth or genital region. Others develop diarrhea or other bowel symptoms, and some develop no symptoms at all for years. The next virus is hepatitis A, B, and C. Hepatitis is an inflammation of the liver which can be caused by a DNA virus, which that would be hepatitis B, or an RNA virus, hepatitis A and C. So DNA means genetic material which is present in nearly all living organisms. It is the carrier of genetic information. RNA is the messenger carrying instructions from DNA for controlling the production of proteins. With some viruses, RNA rather than DNA carries the genetic information. Now hepatitis A is passed through contaminated food and water or by contact with feces of those infected. Hepatitis B and C are primarily transmitted through blood and other bodily fluids, also by sharing needles. Hepatitis A and B are spread sexually more often than hepatitis C. Symptoms are similar no matter what type of hepatitis virus is involved. Victims often experience yellowing of the skin and eyes, known as jaundice, along with fever, loss of appetite, fatigue, brownish urine, joint pain, and any of a number of stomach intestinal symptoms such as nausea and vomiting. Hepatitis A is often self-limited, that is, goes away after a period of time. In a minority of cases, the disease may have prolonged effects. Chronic liver disease occurs most often in hepatitis B and C. Five million Americans have one or the other. Either may result in scarring of the liver called cirrhosis, which leads to failure of the organ. Together, viral hepatitis accounts for more than 1 million deaths a year worldwide. This may seem terrible, but it's important to realize that there are 200 million living with hepatitis C alone worldwide. Aside, besides A, B, and C, there's also hepatitis type D and E. All right, so the Ebola virus. The Ebola virus is famously known for the 2014 epidemic in West Africa that killed over 10,000 people, about 50% of those infected. It is thought to have been transmitted by eating poorly cooked bushmeat, including certain fruit bats that are a natural reservoir of the disease. Ebola received widespread coverage in the U.S. when a Liberian national arrived in Texas with the disease, infecting two nurses at a local hospital. Luckily, the disease didn't take hold in the U.S. and stricter controls were developed as a result of the scare. Ebola is highly contagious and can be passed through close contact with bodily fluids. It is thought not to be airborne, although some studies suggested otherwise. If Ebola was easily transmitted that way, 
it would have been a worldwide pandemic. Early symptoms include sudden onset of fever, fatigue, joint and muscle pain, sore throat, and cough. These rapidly progress to vomiting and diarrhea, often bloody, rashes, bruising, and spontaneous internal bleeding. Smaller outbreaks, like one presently in the Congo, where Ebola originated, continue to plague certain areas of Africa. Then there's the Marburg virus. Another hemorrhagic fever, virtually indistinguishable in symptoms from Ebola, is Marburg virus. Like Ebola, another member of the filovirus family, Marburg was first found in primates and bats and interferes with the blood's ability to clot. This effect of hemorrhagic fever results in multiple organ failure, severe dehydration, death of internal tissue. Although there are many less reported cases of Marburg virus than Ebola, the death rate of those documented so far is close to 90%. Next is the Lassa virus. A third hemorrhagic fever virus is Lassa, first found in rats in West Africa, although nicknamed Ebola light. It kills as many people in West Africa as Ebola did during the epidemic there. When infected persons show symptoms, they are similar to Ebola or Marburg with a death rate of about 15 to 20%. The difference is that Lhasa infects over 300,000 every year, the majority of which have no symptoms at all. And then finally, the hantavirus. Hantaviruses are a family of RNA viruses that may cause fatal lung-based diseases. They were first isolated in 1995 near where I spent my early career in Miami, Florida. Over time, Hantavirus pulmonary syndrome, or HPS, was officially recognized as coming from rodents, notably the cotton rat in Florida, the deer mouse in Canada, and the white-footed mouse on the East Coast. The disease may be transmitted by aerosolized dust from dry rodent droppings. Cases have been reported in 36 U.S. states. Variations are also seen in South America and other parts of the world. Hantavirus infection often presents as a flu-like illness. You can expect fever, coughs, shortness of breath, headaches, muscle aches, the victim becoming lethargic due to lack of oxygen and rapidly deteriorates due to respiratory failure. Hantavirus doesn't infect millions of people, but 36% of all sufferers succumb to the disease. There are a number of other deadly viruses, including the deadliest of all. We'll explore those in our next article. All right, guys, so like I said, this is part one, and uh, I think these are so important that I would like to share with them, and maybe I'll share one a week. Um, I think there's three, three total in the series here of deadly viruses. But as I was preparing for this, I was thinking you know, of, of just a couple of thoughts here as, as I get ready to close out. First of all, you know, when you start thinking about these viruses, a lot of the times, like, you know, you, you think about uh, like Ebola and Marburg or, you know, all these other ones, they seem like they're overseas, right? And it's like they're over there. And if there really was a poop hit the fan scenario, you know, people, people wouldn't be traveling like they travel nowadays. But when you get to that last one, like the Hantavirus, I mean, that was all here in North America, right? So that was in Florida, in Canada, uh, and also in, on the East Coast. And then uh, according to, to the statistic, there, it's in 36 of the states. So that's one that is here. And so as I was thinking about that, I'm like, man, 
we really would be, could be, you know, done for in, in something like that because a lot of these viruses, they look all the same, right? I mean, the symptoms really look the same and, you know, you're, you're vomiting, you're, you're nauseous, you've got fever, you've, you know, you dehydrated, all this kind of type of stuff that's going on that you need to treat. And even doctors, I, I think that, you know, modern day doctors, they have all their, uh, tests that they can run and blood work and all that kind of stuff. You know, if you were in, uh, you know, apocalyptic scenario or whatever, right? And there was a doctor nearby, they would look and they would look at the symptoms and they would just tell you to treat the symptoms because they really wouldn't know. Is it Ebola? Is it Marburg? Is it hantavirus? Is it, you know, all the other types of things that are out there? Is it just the regular flu, the way that it seems to be presenting itself, right? Or a mutated flu or whatever, so really, when it comes down to it, if we were in a poop hit the fan scenario, you're going to be treating the symptoms. And a lot of it is keeping your patient hydrated and make sure that they've got, you know, things that are that are going in because they're going to be dehydrated by using the restroom, dysentery, diarrhea and all the other stuff. And you got to just make sure that you keep them hydrated and keep their energy up as much as possible so that their immune system can kick in. And in, they can wind up, you know, being healed or their body healing themselves. A lot of the times that when we were talking about the Ebola virus and things that were going on back then, people were dying because they were getting dehydrated and they weren't able to, uh, you know, get all the, the things that they needed. And there was just so much confusion about all of that over there. And so um, but it's still it's still a big deal. They're still dealing with it. Right. It still pops up every once in a while. The other thing to consider here when we are talking about viruses and, and, and medical situations when uh, you're in uh, the end of the world as we know it, right, that type of scenario, is that medical supplies are going to be used up very, very quickly. So if you have someone who is sick and you know you need to isolate them, you're, they're going to be going into a room and you're going to be taking care of them, but you're going to have to need supplies to take care of them. You're going to go through those supplies very quickly. And then you need to make sure you're taking care of yourself because you're coming in and out of, of that, that area. And you know, you don't know if it is airborne or not. You know, you want to make sure that the bodily fluids that you're helping to take care of, that those things are being taken care of and you're not, uh, you're protecting yourself so you don't get sick yourself. And then, you know, the family has two people that they're caring for and, and running through those medical supplies very, very quickly. And so, you know, a lot of the times they talk about having some kind of a safe room or a medical room, something that, you know, you can isolate people from, you know, if, if they're sick and you have a way to be able to, I don't know, get in and out of there. And that that's the trick, right? Get in and out of there and not carry any of the virus with you throughout your home or throughout the rest of the family. So nobody else gets sick. But you know, you'll have to think about those types of things because that's just the way it's, you know, it, it would be that you wouldn't have medical facilities, uh, modern day medicine, and you would just have to do that as much as possible. Again, guys, that's one of the reasons why I always suggest, you know, anything you can learn on the medical side of things, 
even if it's first aid, even if it's CPR, e- even if, and I highly recommend it, getting Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's uh, book, you know, the Survival Wilderness Handbook. Uh, I, I think that that book is, or the Survival Medical Handbook, I think that that is a very important book to have. And I would suggest that is the first book that any prepper should should have. There's a lot of great information in there. So a lot of stuff to, to think about. Don't freak out. I mean, something like this can easily start freaking you out and panicking you and, and like, oh my gosh, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But you need to be thinking through it, you know, think through it. You know, what would you do? How would you process through what you would do in a scenario like this? What kinds of materials do you have? What kind of supplies do you have? And is that something that you need to start adding to your preps so that, you know, even if it's something as simple as, you know, plastic gloves, right? And you're able to add that to your preps and maybe some N95 masks so that you can at least protect your hands and protect what, you know, what you're breathing in at the very, very minimum when it comes to a situation like that. And the good thing about that is you can always use those plastic gloves. You can always use N95 masks in other situations. So, you know, you always have those available. So guys, like always, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes and you can come check it out. And uh, I would recommend if you have never gone over to doomandbloom.net, I suggest you go over there and just check it out. Read some of the articles that, you know, bookmark the website. That's going to be one that you really want to, to go to and you really want to make sure that you get all the great information that Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy are sharing. Well, guys, that is it for episode 494. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.